Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Performance at Melbourne Storm, Lachlan Penfold. Tune in to episode 324 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have a long, long overdue part two with Lachlan Penfold. And in this episode, we start off, well, I start off by reeling off the teams that he's been involved in and the finals that he's also won and been involved in. So success leaves clues. And it was in this episode that I wanted to dive into what has led to some of them successes. Obviously, good players and good athletes have led to many of them successes. But no matter how much he would play it down, there is there is something there that Lachlan is bringing to these organisations which is helping this success along. So we started off by creating a discussing creating a winning culture and how that differs across sport. So he's got experience in AFL, in rugby union, in rugby league, in the NBA, and how we discussed the, the, the similarities but also the differences across them environments. Then we have a little bit of a chat around influencing head coaches and where he goes for inspiration for someone that's been in the game for such a long time and had such success, where does he look for for influence and how he can get better and how he can help his staff get better. So this is a really interesting, reflective episode, I think, which hopefully you'll really enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Lachlan Penfold. Thanks for tuning into the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am delighted to welcome Lachlan Penfold. So welcome back to the podcast, mate. Thanks, Rob. Good to be back. It's been a while, but yeah. It has been a long time, hasn't it? It has yeah, been a long time. I couldn't believe it when you said it was like three and a half years. I'm like, holy, yeah, where did all that time go? And you just got back from the States at that point, I think, maybe. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 2017? Anyway. Yeah, okay. We're getting nice. old quick. Nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In the last seven months as well, like seven years, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyone that doesn't know who you are, you just want to give us a quick run-through of background, education, experience, and, and what you're doing at uh, Storm. Yeah, okay. So uh, my role at the Storm is is I'm the head of performance there. Um, and so I've been there four years now. Um, previous to that, I had a similar similar role, different titles, as no doubt there's a lot of discussion in our industry about 
names and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, similar role at um, uh, a basketball team in the States, uh, the Warriors. Um, before that, I was at the Australian Sevens and then the Sydney Roosters um, in the NRL again, and then Brisbane Lions in the AFL. And previous to that, I'd worked with um, a number of Olympic sports, primarily water polo, softball, but also some track and field swimming. Um, I worked at the QAS, the Queensland Academy of Sport, which is one of our institutes within our National Institute program. Um, and then if we keep going further back, Queensland Reds Rugby Union in the Super, what was the Super 12 at that stage, and Brisbane Banners Baseball, and um, yeah, I think that'll probably do. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I started as a strength and conditioning coach um, and then, you know, sort of moved, uh, did different roles, either, you know, the whole kit and caboodle of strength and conditioning, so to speak, or as a speed coach or as a conditioning coach, or, you know, I, I coach some track and field athletes as an 800 runner. So, you know, there's obviously a little bit of everything there. Um, sometimes just a strength coach for sports like swimming or rowing or things like that. But um, as, as you evolve and develop in your career, you, you tend to take on more um, uh, or bigger roles within that within that realm and, you know, moved into sports science, sports medicine coordinator roles with water polo and softball um, and then, you know, head strength and conditioning coach and then head of performance. It sort of evolves as, as I guess, the profession's evolved as well and those mm-hmm. roles have evolved, yeah. One thing I'm always interested in to, to hear when people make that progression from coach, be on the floor, be on the field, to that more managerial leadership role. Obviously, people this happens in every industry. You yeah. get really good at what you're doing, and yeah. then the next progression is to lead and manage. Obviously, not everyone is set up to lead and manage. But how are you? How have you made that transition? Has that transition been tough for you? Has, has it, have you gone anywhere for guidance on management yeah. and leadership, or has it just been quite natural for you? In that yeah, yeah, good question. Um, I guess, uh, so for me, when I was at the Sydney Roosters, um, we had a new coach come in, Trent Robinson, in 2013, and one of the things that he said to me was that uh, he didn't want me working as much in a hands-on role. So, so previous to that, I was the, it was probably more of a head of strength and conditioning role um, with the Lions, and, and the Roosters, even though sometimes the titles might have implied a, a head of performance. But if I look back now at what I'm doing now compared to then, it was more of a head of strength and conditioning. So my role was, you know, to, to drive the physical development and try and um, coordinate an integrated department of um, both physical preparation and injury management to, to get the best result and also to, uh, I don't want to say control, but uh influence and direct training, skills training as well, you know, within a, within an overall loading scheme. But most of my time was spent writing programs and coaching athletes in the in the physical area of um, speed, conditioning, strength, et cetera. And, um, and then, you know, I think back to the lines, GPS got in, uh, introduced in about 2006, you know, and so all of a sudden I'm doing that as well. So I'm trying to work out GPS and how to do it and what does it mean and, you know, I'd get home after training at seven and I'd have dinner and then I'd stay up till one or two o'clock trying to do the GPS for it and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know if I did a, a head of performance role of, of how I see it now in a good way. Um, and, and so when Trent came to the Roosters, he, he sort of said to me, I, I don't want you doing as much of the hands-on. He said, I want you to be able to watch and observe and make judgments on whether we're doing the right thing or we're going in the right direction and how do we make changes in that way, um, which if you're a strength and conditioning coach, that's what your identity is. I'm the person on the field, in the gym, working with the players and I'm, I'm the one that they look at and, and, and you know work with and all of a sudden you're taken out of that role to a degree and someone else is, is in charge of writing the programs under your guidance direction. Um, and they're in, they're responsible for that program, and you're there assisting them, but you're not the man, so to speak, doing it. Um, and so that becomes a it can become a, a hit to your uh, maybe ego or identity of or hang on, well, what am I? And um, players are really receptive and, and understanding, and so of course they walk around going, "Mate, you do nothing anymore. You do just stand there and everyone else does stuff." Yeah. yeah. So it makes you feel really good about yourself. Um, <laughs> But I, I was, you know, 
I like to read a bit, and I, I was reading Alex, one of Alex Ferguson's books, and um, you know, I've told this story before, but uh, he, the gist of it was when he was coaching in Scotland, his assistant coaches came up and said, we may as well leave. We're wasting our time being here because you don't let us do anything. No, 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 you're really important to me. Listen, Alex, all we do is put witches' hats around and you run everything and we do nothing, so we think we should leave. And he goes, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. And and they say, well, okay, you sit in the stand for a week and let us run things under your direction and see how it goes. And he said that that was a, a, a massive eye-opener for him because all of a sudden he could see and observe players and how things went and how others were working, whereas when you're down there on the field and your head's in it, you, you can't have that you know, um, overview of things. And so that's sort of one of the philosophies I tried to take was, okay, this will give me a better perspective of where the whole program's going rather than just my specific area. Um, and so I think, at least for me and, and how I work, that's a really important point is that I have to, if I'm the head of performance, performance is not physical performance. Performance is football performance on the field. And I have to think as though I'm the head coach and what is the most important thing for us to do to become a better football team? And sometimes it might be that physical component, but other times it's like we need to do more skills work. So one of the things that I think people in my role or, or my profession anyway is they get caught up in their area, okay? No, 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 we have to do this fitness work or they have to reach these fitness standards or this strength standard or whatever else. No, we have to make them the best football team possible. And there's a multitude of ways to get there, but never forget that it's about developing a football player, not a physical specimen to play football. Um, so I don't know where we started or how we no, got there, good. but That's, anyway. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's yeah. the one thing that I, I picked up on, and it's an obvious thing to pick, pick up on, is the word identity. And I think that's that's something that not that I've been in your shoes, but I can it resonates with me that when you're on the floor, you, you you're writing a program, it's tangible, it's there in front of you, you work with the player, it's very tangible, it's 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 there, people can see it. When you're in that kind of overseeing role, maybe you don't get to the end of the day with a new bit of paper with some more numbers and words on it. It's yep. it's it's quite hard to maybe objectify what you're doing and how you're doing it was that something am i just making that up or was that would that be something that you could relate to no no it is it is in a way um so, so like i'm i'm at all our strength sessions and, and obviously we do all our our work on the field in terms of our speed conditioning it, it, most of the time it's integrated within our football sessions but so I, i'm at every training session but like I said, I'm not the guy running the string session. We have a guy called Dan DePasco who runs our string session. He does a fantastic job. He does a better job than me. Um, and, and that's really important that I that I allow him to do that job and do do it as well as he can within the, I, I guess, the constraints of how we want to develop football players. Um, and, and he does a really good job of that. You know, there's a, a saying, I'm not going to buy a dog and bark myself. It's like, <laughs> and I've done that. And I think back to some of my earlier years, and I didn't, I didn't let my staff do the best job possible because I tried to control everything. And so part of it is about letting go of control, um, which is a difficult thing because at the end of the day, if something doesn't work out, the head coach normally comes to you and rips you in your asshole, not anyone else, <laughs> right? So you need to make sure that you've got things right and and that's why um, part of your role is developing a really good performance team that are all on the same page and um, understand where we're going and what the philosophy is and um, that at the end of the day you're going to be judged on football performance like I don't care if someone's squat numbers or bench numbers in terms of strength training don't move greatly. You know, that doesn't mean anything to us. It's how they apply that strength on the football field, okay? Um, and Dan doesn't either, you know. Like, he obviously wants to see guys improve, but it, it's about how do we make these guys better football players. So um, coming back to your point about identity and, and, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day I'll do a lot of things that people don't see um, because that's about how do, how do I make the program better. 
that doesn't bother me, you know. Um, you, you've got to be comfortable in, in yourself and what you're doing and your knowledge of, of how things are, are working. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with coaches trying to work out what they want out of players and also, you know, in terms of what they want out of or how they want us to play football and how we want to develop our training sessions. Um, you know, and there's a lot of back and forward and those sort of things. Um, so there's a lot of parts that, you know, if you if you walked in and, and you watched training sessions, you wouldn't see it, you wouldn't think that I do a lot, um, so to speak. Like I'm not running the training sessions, but there's, there's a more of a background coordinating, influencing sort of role there, um, as well as, like you said, uh, guiding, influencing training sessions to, to make sure that we're we're going in the right direction. The amount of people listening to this who are the person in, in Dan's role yep. and there's someone above them, does this kind of, what you're talking about here with letting go to a certain extent and letting that person do their yep. work, can that be replicated from the level below? So Dan to an assistant and an assistant to an intern. Is that is that a, a similar dynamic? Yeah, I th- well, yes, possibly, but I think there, there comes a level of um, knowledge and experience. So obviously, yeah. um, you know, if we had an intern, we're not going to say, hey, listen, you just go off and fill your boots. Whatever you want. Um, yeah. You know, and so, so obviously a, a degree of trust um, has to come into it, um, but that's obviously how you develop staff members um, is by giving them, um, uh, I don't want to say lesser roles, but um, smaller, smaller roles or, you know, and, and letting them uh, develop programs. So, you know, as an example, one of our strength and conditioning coaches um, took on a lot of the rehab work, so a guy called Hal Marsden. Um, so we would obviously guide him, but then it's up to Hal and the other guy who's with him, the physio, Chris Tandy, it's up to those guys to develop programs. And then we'll sit down and go through them with them and, and um, you know, add in our two cents worth, so to speak. Um, but it's giving them that control um, and ability to, to write, direct and influence those, those rehabilitation training programs within the guise of what we want to achieve as a football club. Um, and, you know, and they do a really good job of that. And so that's how they're going to develop as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't want to embarrass you here, but... <laughs> It's like a star, is it? But I thought I, I didn't. I didn't want to have you come on here and not chat about the successes that you've had in your yeah. in your career. Mm-hmm. So that got me doing a little bit of digging. Wikipedia yeah. going back and forth with your LinkedIn when you were at certain places. Yeah, sure. So 2010, Sydney lost in the final. And let me yeah. know if these are right, by the way. Oh. 2013 winners. Yep. So I wasn't, at, I wasn't at the Roosters in 2010. I was at the Lions. Okay. Yeah, yeah, First yeah. mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. So 13, 13 winners. Yep. So 16 with Golden State, mm-hmm. lost in the final. Yes. Yep. Yep. 2017 winners mm-hmm. with the Storm. 2018 lost in the final. 2020 winners. Yep. So there's, there's some good, there's incredible success in there. But is there is there things that you can take from each one of them different environments from the Roosters winning 2013 to the Warriors losing the final in 2016 to where you are now. In terms of the environment that you see around you every day, do you pick up the, the commonalities amongst them amongst them three environments? Uh, Although well, maybe very different? Yeah, look, I think there's, there's certainly um, there's certainly some commonalities within there you know in all honesty one of them is good players okay like (laughs) um i've also been places where there's been good players and we haven't been as successful and and other places where i think i've done a really good job but we haven't had the players and we haven't been that good but but one of the things is is you need to have good players you know like if you want to have a winning environment you have to have good players but how they become good and how they sustain being good is also different things as well, you know. So um, I think as part of good players, you know, you also need good coaching um, and you also need a good, uh, good organisation within that um, that allows – so the organisation allows 
the players and the coaches. And when I say coaches, I'm also going to refer to performance stuff because it's all one, okay, your, your football department, so to speak, um, or basketball or wherever you are. Um, they, allow, they allow that to um, do their job, so to speak. Um, so that's really important. Um, I think within that, the your good players, or maybe it's not even good players, it's, it's great or excellent players, have a drive to become better. Sometimes it's a drive to prove themselves, but most of the time it's a drive to become better. Um, and that drive is able to influence other players. So they, they, some of those great players are able to influence other players to become better. Um, you need a strong, you need a strong coaching uh, group that want to keep driving players as well that aren't content to be um, to rest on their laurels and and um, you know accept that yep this is good enough that they always want to get better um, and obviously you need a you know I believe you need a good let's call it performance team that that can prepare players as well within the context of of what you're trying to achieve on the football field on the basketball court wherever it is um, yeah so. Yeah, there's a whole different, or there's a whole lot of different things that go into it, you know. And, and I don't know if you want to explore different areas or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one thing that you said there is leverage, and leveraging them not only good players but the excellent, the the world class players that, that that are in the club. How do you do that from a as a physical preparation to to help get what you want from the group by leveraging them, excellent players who you may have one if lucky two or three. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, like, for me, it's about they set a standard and that's a standard that others can aspire to. Um, and so uh, it's it's not like I would go to a, a great player and say, look, I need you to do this or tell these other players that they have to do this. You know, I'm basically trying to do your, do your job for you. But if they set a standard, then others – other players look up to them and they'll, they'll tend to follow that. Um, most of the time, those great players, you don't need to ask them to do those things because they're already doing them because that's part of their greatness. Um, so it's about reinforcing those habits, I guess, um, and, and perhaps you can reinforce those qualities to other players. Have you noticed how so-and-so never misses a recovery session, never is late to training is always doing extras out on the field after training, etc. You know, um, and so you can reinforce to other players the habits that those, the good habits that those players have, um, and, and so that's probably an important thing to try and do. But I don't think that you can get those players to try and sell your message for you. Okay. By asking them to it, they'll do yeah. it because of how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that has come up, as you can imagine, a lot, but probably not for a while actually, is the the fluffy word of, of culture, mm-hmm. and I suppose how difficult it is to to communicate on on a podcast like this. Yeah. But in terms of creating that the culture that goes on to win two championships in three years, um, how do you how do you go about communicating that amongst your leadership team, head coach, coaching staff, mm. and how do you Try to communicate that down to the, like we've said, to the to the excellent players, and that filters down to the to the good players, the youth players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How do you go about, firstly, getting hold of that, and then secondly, how that then tries to be pulled down into the, the rest of the group? Yeah, it's a good question. Every place has their own culture, and I think that's probably important: is that you don't try and implant a culture in there that isn't you or or isn't isn't um, what you believe. Now, for me in my role, um, a lot of the times the culture comes from the organisation and probably the head coach and perhaps senior players, Um, especially if, you know, like the Melbourne Storm has been a very good football team for 20 years. So it's not like I've suddenly turned up and they've become (laughs) good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Hopefully I've, I've helped improve them in some ways. But so... It's like, you know, the organisation has to work out what's important and what do they stand for and how they're going to go about things. Um, and 
the head coach will drive a lot of that culture through the way he is and, and his actions and it's important for everyone to get on board. And So I'll, I'll take you back to an example of, at the Roosters. The Roosters were a good team but they were in and out because they used to buy a lot of players and so they'd buy good players and then they would sometimes become good and then sometimes they'd be shit because good players aren't always good people, right? And so sometimes some of the players they bought weren't the best people and therefore they didn't really care about the organisation or the place, they just cared about playing and getting their money and those sort of things. So so they had good teams but they didn't have, um, uh, you know, a great culture, if, if that's the right word. And so one of the things that Trent Robinson did when he came in, and, and this is not saying anything, we're not trying to be disrespectful to what went before, but he's like, I don't want this place to be a transit lounge anymore. We're not going to just keep buying good players. We want to develop good players and have good people. And it's up to us to to get these players to understand about the history of the club and want to be here and want to stay here for their careers versus, um, you know, just coming here for money. Um, and so that that was a, an important, I guess, in a way, cultural turning point for the, for the club, I guess, in some ways. And, and they've obviously gone on to be very successful. Now, you look at a place like the Storm, and, and I've come in there in the last twenty percent of their twenty-year, you know, successful run. But um, you know, Craig Bellamy's the co- the coach there, and he's been there for a long time. And you know. One of his main things is is hard work or work ethic, and we work hard, and the players all know that if they come here, they have to work hard, and that's an expectation. Um, we don't we don't have dickheads there, and whether that's a conscious thing of not getting in there, or whether that's once you have them there that they get rid of them quickly. We lose players that are great people and great players because we can't afford to keep them but we'll also lose some people because they may not want them there anymore. Um, and so that's that's a really important part as well. Um, but it's also, it's like you've got to be able to sustain that. You know, so um, so how do you go about doing that? Well, obviously you've got to have high standards and expectations. You know, you've got to live those. You can't let little things go by. Um, you know, you've got to have hard conversations when they're needed with players. Um, and, um, you know, I guess be genuine and honest about, about how you go about things. Um, you've got to make it a great place to be at. So, so one of the things, you know, we, we had a discussion before we came on about we went up to a hub and we were there for, I think, four months. So that, that could either have made us or broke us in a way because we were living in a resort and we ended up being quarantined, so we could only leave that place for training or for playing, and otherwise we had to stay within there. And so it's like how do you, how do you ensure that people are going to get on well that whole time? You're going to have probably differences of opinions and, and that sort of stuff, but on the whole, we had a really um, happy, united group of players that whole time, okay? And, and um, obviously if you're winning, that helps. So um, if, you, if we had lost every game, we, we may not have found that, but we, but we did. So, so we, you know, winning cultures help winning, but oh, oh, sorry, winning helps winning cultures. But also, you know, there was a lot of work done by the football staff off the field in terms of trying to get to make sure that players um, had a good time together, but also had their own time. You know, so we made sure we gave them space and things like that. Um, and, you know, we're respectful of, of the needs to be able to, either be part of the group or not part of the group at different times and things like that. So, um, you, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of different things that go into it. Um, but I think, you know, having good people is, is a big part of it and, and having uh, uh, an understanding or, or having an organisation that knows where they want to go and what, what they're about is really important and then that everyone has to buy into that. You, you know, so if I don't buy into the, the ethic of hard work, well, I probably won't be there. You know, um, and so that's yeah, that, that's important. It, it's like um, the other thing is that sometimes you can get some bad influences, and it's how do you how do you deal with those as well? So it's probably not made the news over there, but over here in Australia at the moment, so we have our our SAS, which is our elite um, army soldiers, 
I think you call them the SAS as well, like the name. Yeah, series. We do, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. and so. Oh, there's some news today. There's yeah, yeah, news today. Yeah, so, yeah, I saw um, that. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's this big report, and they've been slammed because a group of approximately 25 soldiers within this uh, regiment have, let's call it, gone rogue. You know, and done things that are outside the the ethics of of what that that group stand for. Now, unfortunately, like I have tremendous respect for for servicemen, um, you know, and what they do and, and and how they put their lives on the line and those sort of things. But now, unfortunately, that whole regiment is tarnished because of the actions of some people. And, and the little bit of reading that I've done through the news is is that 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 rogue group of, of Soldiers was allowed to to develop that way because they weren't stopped, you know, because the the, the head of the organisation, so to speak, or, or some of the commanders didn't didn't stop um, some of their bad traits, habits, whatever, in the early days, and it just grew and grew and grew. And so that's an important part of culture: is how do you stop the bad influencing the good, you know? And and is an organisation strong enough to do that, you know? Because if you take it into a sporting sense. You can have very good players that are bad influences, but they don't want to do anything to reprimand the good players in case they leave or you know spit the dummy or whatever else. But it ends up having a really bad effect on um, that whole group, you know, and it can destroy your culture. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Lachlan. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss how players have changed over his career and how he's had to adapt. So the younger athletes coming through, their influences, their expectations, all that kind of stuff, which is really interesting, and how he has progressed. Because if coaches are going to be in this game for the long term, that's something that they're going to have to do. They're going to have to adapt. So it's really interesting to get that point of view from Lachlan, who's gone through it. We also discuss his inspiration and where he goes for inspiration for innovation and to get better and to help his staff get better. So a really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sport, a Swiss army knife for optimizing off-field performance. So Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid and reliable athlete assessment. So for the first time ever, you can access metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics and speed agility all with the single wearable sensor. So Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organisations, performance centres, teams and athletes to make data-driven decisions. So this technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at OutputSports where you can also schedule a demo. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and this optimized performance. 
Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. Another thing that I'm really interested in, and it fits right in with this this chat around culture, is your hiring of performance staff around you. How important is is cultural fit for you when appointing someone? Yes, the technical, yes, the qualifications, yes, the the experience. Yep. But how much is is are they going to actually fit in here in what we've got going on? All the things that you've just described successfully. How important yeah. is that? Oh, look. At- um, massively so, and more so now than previous, because I understand it better. Okay. So, you know, so what, do, what, do you what do you understand more? Well, well so, so in the past, you'd probably go for the best qualified person, right? But they may not be the best person for the job. Are they willing to? Um, geez, I don't know how to say it. I don't, I don't want to say compromise, but are they willing to um, ensure that whatever area they're, they're responsible for is working in with what you're trying to achieve as a football team versus what they think is important, you know? So an example, a long time ago, I was working with a football team and, and we're a brand new organisation and, and a bit sort of disjointed in a way. And, and the guy in charge of the strength program is like, mate, these boys need to squat today because that's what they have to do. And I'm like, some of these boys are busted and they can't squat today. I don't care. They have to squat today. This is a really basic example, but it's like, no, no, no. For the good of our performance on the weekend, doing that will actually probably um, be a negative for them. You know what I mean? So, so, so it's like, okay, you need to take a bigger picture view of things, not just be isolated to your area and worried about your area. At the end of the day, we're going to be judged on how well the team does on the field, not because your squats went from 140 kilos to 145 kilos over the course of a season. So, so there's that willingness to, to have a, um, a bigger picture view of things is really important. Um, the other thing is, which again, you understand more so now is people have to be prepared to give and take honest feedback, okay? Not tell you everything's good and then go bitch about you behind your back or someone else in the team and, and you have these little little clusters of, you know, um, uh, bitching and whatever else. It's like if you can't give and take honest feedback, then you don't want those people as part of your team because they're going to be a, a destructive part of the culture of your team. Same as that that good player that's a bad influence. It's like you don't want those people around. And I'd rather take someone who had less experience um, but was a good person and understood those things than someone who's more highly qualified. Um, you know, the other thing is you also want people that are prepared to challenge. So, again, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Dan DePasqua. Like, Dan will always come and say, he goes, look, take it or leave it, but I'll give you a couple of things. Boom, you know, and away <laughs> he goes. And, and so it's like I, I encourage and I want that because I, I always need to know whether I'm on the right track. And sometimes we all get locked into our little way of thinking and it's like, hang on, I didn't think about that. So what you need is, is that people are going to challenge you and – not just me, but I need the physio to be able to, to take it, that I can go up and say, how come you're doing this? In the past when I've done hamstring stuff, we would normally do that. What do you think about it? And you go, look, yep, I understand that, but I think these reasons here, boom, boom, boom. Okay, that sounds fine. Let's see how it goes. If it works, great. If it doesn't, okay, let's go revisit this. Is there a different way to do it? So um, they're, the, they're the most important things, I think, in terms of um, – your staff is that they can give and take honest feedback. They're, they're willing to challenge. They're willing to learn, um, and they're good people. You know, because 
in all honesty, the other stuff's easy. Like we can get hung up on, you know, all sorts of different loading systems, you know, periodization systems, chains, bands, this, that, whatever else, you know, velocity-based training. That's the easy shit, in all honesty. It's it's how do you work as a team and how do you work to put a program together? And I'm not denigrating strength coaches here and, and you could say the same about speed work and whatever else, but it's it's like the, the nitty-gritty of the program is is the easy part. It's, it's how do you work to provide a football program versus components of physical development within a football program? Um, you know, and, and you know, I know you've had Kelvin Giles on the mm. on the podcast, and you know Kelvin. Kelvin's a great mentor of mine; has been for twenty odd years. And um, one of the things that Kelvin said to me was, "The program's the easy part. It's all about the delivery. You know, it's how does how do you, as a coach, inspire or get the best out of players?" He said, "Anyone can write a strength program, but it's what they do with that strength program, and, and that that's a really important part as well. Is is how does that coach convey to the players that this is what we need to be doing and you need to believe in this and do it and you'll become a better player from it. Yeah. Again, stainless theme of culture, <laughs> your year in the NBA. I, just from the outside, having seen a bit of rugby league and <laughs> seen a bit of the NBA, I, yeah. I presume what you find in the role is very, very different. Yeah. In terms of the culture, can you can you elaborate on whether I'm talking nonsense or whether that's that was the reality? Um, oh, look, look, it is. It's um, it, it's it's they're, to- they're totally different sports. And so, um, a friend of mine who used to work with with me at the Lions, Alex Moore, he was at the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, and, and you know, I was talking to him about it, and he said, "Look, I can tell you all about this job." He said, "But until you actually live it." You won't understand it, and and never a truer word was spoken. So to speak. Um, it, look, from my perspective as as a professional, I have much greater enjoyment out of what I do with football because I believe that I can have a greater inf- influence. So so the NBA, um, it, it's. Um, there's some fantastically talented players there, and um, but it's an entertainment industry in the fact that you could play somewhere between three to five games a week. You know, a lot of you're travelling all different places. You're getting in late at night. You're getting up. You're you're playing the next day. It's a performance compromised, and um, I guess preparation compromised environment because it's about it's about putting on the show as many times as possible. Now, basketball, you can obviously play more times in a week than you can play football. Um, and when I say football, obviously I'm talking rugby league versus rugby, yeah, yeah, yeah. soccer. But, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, th- there's a degree of, of compromise to that, um, which I found uh, it took a while to get used to. Um, also, the, what you can do within that, that environment is limited because you, you can't, you can't um, expect a lot out of the players because of, of what they're going through from a playing and, and travelling perspective. Um, it's it's a it's a very in a way individually driven sport. You know, players have come through their own systems, their colleges. They've got their their own people that they confide in, work with, and and at times there is a, uh, a distrust, so to speak, of what they'll call management, you know what I mean? Um, which is basically anyone to do with the team who's not a player um, okay, okay. because of the cutthroat nature of the game yeah. and the fact that, you know, there's many examples of this, but we got on a plane in Los Angeles and we landed in Atlanta four hours later and one of our players that was with us in Los Angeles, by the time we got to Atlanta, all of a sudden he's in a different team. You know, so he didn't leave the flight Midway through, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't throw him out halfway over. Off. Yeah. But but you know, but when we landed, it's like, oh, by the way, you've been traded. You know, so and so there's, yeah. there's that sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever. 
fluidity of movement fluidity between teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. and so so therefore they become a little bit reliant upon themselves and, and distrustful of, of everyone else. So, um, look, when I was at the Warriors, people always said, this is a great team. The way they get on, the way they work together, you won't see that anywhere in the NBA. And, and what I was used to here in Australia, I'm thinking, oh, like they all seem to get on pretty well, but this is not great. This is good, but this is not great. But for NBA standards, it was. And one of the players, he said to me, look, I can't wait till you go to a bad team. He said, you know, you, you'll have players in the locker room with guns and stuff like that that hate each other. Now, you might have exaggerated a bit, but but there is always those underlying tensions. And, and I've said this on numerous occasions, a lot of that comes from the head, okay? So... You look at a guy like Steve Kerr as a coach. He's a very humble, down-to-earth player uh, person. You look at the best player on that team, Steph Curry. He's the most, for what he is, the most humble, hard-working person that you'll come across. Like this guy is, and I didn't understand the level of it when I got there. But this guy is an absolute superstar, and he's just a down-to-earth bloke who wants to get better. You know, and he'll work his ass off every day to become better. And if he's the best player in your team and he's a great person like that, it's very hard for others to suddenly start having superstar-type demands. You know, And so I think that's a really important part, again, coming back to culture. You, know, you, you look at um, the Melbourne Storm right now. You've got Cameron Smith, who's a captain, who has played more games than anyone else, the eternal debate of is he the greatest player in the game, you know, someone else can answer that question. But he's a great player and he's and what he's achieved over nearly 20 years of football is unbelievable. But he's just a normal person who gets in there and works hard every day. They're the sort of people that you need as, as, as the head of your, your cultural um, program, so to speak, even though they're not officially there. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. So, I don't know if that's uh, your question. I no, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's um, it's interesting. The, the the journey over there in the States, how did it affect, I mean, you talked about the, the players being performance compromised. Yeah. What was it like for you as a as a coach? Oh, look, and, uh, and yeah, in your it, role, were you, clearly you've got to be compromised like health-wise, just generally keeping yeah, up with Yeah, g- generally you are. You know, like, um, again, Alex sort of warned me, he said, you, he said, you watch the first year, you'll put on a heap of weight because <laughs> <laughs> so you look after the players really well. So we had we provided breakfast and lunch for them and it, they were good meals. And then whenever we travelled, you know, obviously there was, you know, the best meals possible that, that we'd try and organise for them. And, and there's buffets all the time. And so so there can be a temptation to eat too much. Um, and obviously you, you sleep compromised because you get in late and, and things like that. What I felt, what I found was that it, it affected my family life way more than what I wanted to. So um, a couple of things. So when you're away, obviously you're away. When you're at home, we would have a uh, – most of the time a shoot around in the morning at 10 o'clock. And so you'd normally be in there by 8 because players would start coming through then, um, so which means you leave at 7. So most of the time the kids are probably maybe not out of bed yet or maybe just. You'd get home somewhere around about 2.30. Um, I'd go pick my kids up from school and then I would normally leave at about 3.30 to get to the arena by 4, 4.30 when the first players started coming in to play the game that night and then um, – you know, get home about 11.30. So that's that's a home game. You you don't see your family for, for very much time. Obviously, when you're not playing, you've got training and, um, you know, you'd probably be in there from 8 till 2 or something like that. You know, so, so you get a bit of time, but, but you're away all the time. So in football, you're away on a weekend and you, have a, you develop a bit of a, a rhythm and a cycle to life. This one, you go away from a Tuesday to a Saturday and then from a – Wednesday to a Monday and, and like you just don't know what day it is. All you know is that you're playing New Orleans in two days' time and, you know, whatever, I'm going away next week and I'm away for however long. Um, and so it, it compromises your family life a lot. Um, you know, I, had, I have two daughters and one was playing soccer and one was playing softball on a Saturday and a Sunday and I didn't see one game of either for three months. Mm. It's like, okay, this is sort of fucked up and not really where I want to be in my life. Um, and what I felt was that there's 
I, I used to sit on the plane and look, and a lot of our coaches were ex-players and, um, you know, performance staff were, were people that were in there. And, and it's, it's only like their NBA life is there. They're going to be doing this and they think this is normal. But for me, and this is only my perspective, it wasn't normal and I didn't enjoy that part of things. Um, I obviously enjoyed we, – we, we had a good team and we played some beautiful basketball and, and it, was, it was a fantastic journey to be part of. Um, and if I was a basketball diehard, perhaps I'd want to stay there and be there forever. But I just felt like there was a massive compromise in my personal life that I didn't enjoy. Um, now, maybe I could have done things better in terms of how I handled and managed all that. But, um, yeah, so it, it was it was sort of, um, you know, great stuff in some ways, yeah. But you don't regret going? Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah I, I don't regret – I try not to regret, regret anything in life because everything's an experience that you're going to become better from if, if you're willing to become better. Um, so I don't regret – doing anything in my, in my time um, as long as I can, if it was a negative experience, and now I'm not saying the Warriors was a negative experience in any way, but as long as I can learn and become better from anything that I do, I, you know, you can't regret it because there, there's lessons there that you'll take on for the rest of your life. So I don't regret it at all. And like I said, you know, hey, if you're going to come in and work for a year in the NBA, that was a pretty good year to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, 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 except for the last four minutes of game seven of the final, <laughs> we ended up losing. But, um, yeah, you know, not at all. You know, and I met some wonderful people along the way and, and was privileged to, to witness, you know, what I'll call basketball greatness, you know, with some of the players that we had there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Don't, mm-hmm. don't regret it for a second. So for someone that's we talked about the diff, these different environments, different players from different generations, how have you had to change your delivery, the way you interact with players, what you expect from them, what you don't expect from them, as you've moved through your career and, and dealing with younger yeah. athletes as as you and the rest of us get older? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, good question. Look, uh, I guess I always try and be honest you know, and, and like I am who I am and if I try and be someone different, then I'm not being honest in a way. Um, but everyone's different and you need to try and understand how people work as a person and and, and what, what resonates with them and what's important to them and, and those sort of things. I certainly don't get it right all the time and I sometimes still tr- struggle to, to make a connection with, with some players. Um, because, that, you know, in life, if you put yourself in a room with 40 people, you're going to get on better with some than others and you're not going to make a connection with some and, and so you have to really work at that. Um, and so, you know, you've got to find that balance between, um, you know, uh, I guess being friendly is not the right word, but how, how, do you, how do you develop friendships with players but you also have to keep, a, a, in a way, a professional level there because at sometimes you might be required to um, you know have strong words or honest words with that player and it's like okay you need to have that that boundary I guess in a way um, but but the main thing is is trying to treat them as people and and, and respect them as people um, that's really important I, I think understanding you know shit I'm trying to work out my kids at the moment you know <laughs> And I'm not doing a great job with my 15-year-old at times because, you know, my wife tells me it's just because she's 15 and it's like, oh, I need to be better at that. But, um, you know, it, it's how do, how, do you, how do you find out what, what makes people tick? That's the important part um, and understanding. So, you know, this is a long time ago, but I, I still remember I was at the lines and we had some young players in and, and I tried ringing one of the players and got his message back, so I left an, a message and he texted me back about 10 minutes later. I went, oh, he must have had his phone. I'll give him a call now. So I ring him straight after I get the text, straight to message bank, left another message. <laughs> Two minutes later, I get a text. I'm like, radio, okay, I understand this. I'll just text him. You know what I mean? Like some, some mm-hmm. people don't want to have direct verbal communication. 
maybe he was busy, I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's trying to understand how different players work and, and, you know, I guess I'm a bit old school. I'd rather talk to people than text them. But I understand now, like now I'll probably text people a lot more because that's just the way life is. Um, you know, how do you communicate? How, how do you go about things? Sometimes people can handle honest feedback and sometimes people can't. So you have to work out a way to still deliver it but in a different manner, you know. Um, yeah. So it was something that I struggled with early on was that transitioning from friend to professional and that, that boundary of, the, I suppose, the, the swing of, of when you're one and when you're the, the other and, and deciphering what's, what person I have to be. Is that yeah. something, like you say, is, is, like you said before, is that something that you're still working on? Is that something that you kind of picked up via a certain experience? Is that something that you feel like you've, you've kind of nailed? Um, oh, no, I don't think you've ever nailed it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I think, like for me personally, I actually need to be better at making connections, you know, because okay. uh, I think I probably at times will remove my – not remove, but try and keep that professional boundary there more than what I should, and, and I need to be better at making connections at times. Um, and, and so that's my, my work on, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so it, it is a difficult thing and, and it's a really difficult, um, especially for young coaches coming through um, because at times they're all, also the same or similar age. See, uh, as life goes on, I, I now become, you know, I'm, I'm one of these old fellas, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that same age, uh, whereas some of the younger coaches are that same age. You know, So there is a temptation to go out with players and do things. But, you know, again, you've got to find the right time so there might be a time when, when there is a, a social occasion with the club and, you know, everyone's drinking and whatever else and you have a good time and that's good. But if you're going out on a Friday night with them all the time and getting drunk, then how can you turn up on a Monday and tell them that, you know, they need to be better with their diet and their skin folds and those sort of things. So that that's the thing that young coaches need to, need to you know, find the right balance with, I think. Yeah, yeah. Gonna ask one more question before before I let you go because I've really enjoyed this. It's been great. Yeah, where, sure. where do you where, where do you go for your influence? Where do you go? Yeah. Is yeah. it is it books? Is it a certain genre of video? Yeah. Is what what kind what what is it? Where where do you go for for your influence? Um, yeah, look, good question. So, um, I, and I think it probably follows an evolution of 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 your career in a way. So, early days, um, you know, I had guys like. Kelvin Giles and Vern Gambetto um, as as mentors of mine, um, and you know I did a, I did a heap of reading about you know different types of training, um, you know, because you want to you want to become the best that you can, um, and those guys had massive influence on me in terms of my development, um, and then also all, all the um, the work that I do in terms of of reading, and then it's like okay. Like I said before, some of that is easy because the amount of knowledge that you can gain in terms of physical training is going to be well in excess of what you're actually going to apply within within what you do. So I could keep reading every strength article and conditioning article and speed article under the sun and become the smartest bloke ever and understand everything. But am I going to be able to apply that? No. Okay, so, so what else do I need to understand? I need to understand how to be a better coach. How do I relate to people? And so I read a lot of coaching books, you know. Um, so most of the time those books are written by head coaches, you know, classic examples. You know, I'll just look up at my bookshelf here, but, you know, like Phil Jackson or, um, you know, Clive Woodward, you know, Rod McQueen, those sort of guys, you know, or they write about Alex Ferguson and things like that. But that gives you an understanding of how, how to coach different people. Um, and then there's, there's other basic coaching books. Um, and, and then there's also areas of personal development, um, you know, and then also organisational um, type of books, you know, and Damien Hughes has written about the Barcelona way and th different things like that, you know. So it, it, to me it's, it's all about how do you develop a, an understanding of how everything works um, in those sort of areas. And, you know, there, there's, there's a guy called Andy Walsh who used to be at Red Bull and he's now at with Liminal Collective. And so, you know, long story, but 
when I was going through uni, I actually had a bit to do with Andy and we knew each other and then I didn't see him for 20 years and I turned up at this leaders conference in the US and he's given this presentation on <laughs> Stratus Project. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, and so I, I reconnected with Andy. And so a guy like Andy Walsh, for me, is is probably a newer mentor in, in the fact of how he thinks about performance. You know, and, and he he was looking at, areas of, you know, uh, mindfulness and neural control and, you know, basic things like emotional control, you know, putting people through breath hold, you know, for big wave surfers and how do they react under pressure and, and, and those sort of things well before it became popular. And like a lot of people are doing those sort of things now, but it's like, so, so he's got this different perspective of performance. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that we've spoken about is, is how, how do you get better? Like when you when you get to the elite or mastery level, um, it becomes about mastery of self versus mastery of of the physical. Because you know one of the things we talk about, there's only so many laps you can run. You can only get so much better physically. It's like how how do you develop your your mastery of yourself? And and a lot of that will come down to mental and, and emotional control. And and how do you put players in different situations to handle that? So you know. Um, I don't know. It's it's just there's, there's all these different influences and and um and hopefully it all goes into making a better a better person like me a better person and the people I work with better people and also better performers. Um, so yeah, you know, mm -hmm. there's, 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 yeah, there's a heap of different things that will influence you. Yeah. Have you listened to Damien Hughes's podcast? Um, yeah, so so I actually did a course the other day, and he was a speaker there, and, and so I listened to one of his podcasts, and yeah, it was really good. So the the problem is that there's so much information available now. Yes, I don't have time. You know, like so, yeah, you know, um, I'm not pissing your pocket here, but your podcast is one of the first <laughs> ones that I, I sort of started to listen to, yeah. and then it's like, oh wow, there's all these other podcasts, and now yeah. you know, like there's there's this list of interesting people. Like I need. 28 hours a day just to listen oh, to podcasts and, yeah. and videos and, and books. You're like, I don't read anywhere near enough of, of what I should. And so um, that's the problem is, is there's, there's nearly too much information and how do you become selective? And, and so I think you need to, to work out what area you want to be better in and sort of target that, you know? And so, um, and, and that's the difficult part. And Unfortunately for me, I've got about ten areas I want to be better in. So I've got about <laughs> ten books on the go and yeah, you know, ten different podcasts. But um, yeah, uh, for me, that that's the thing is is what areas do I want to be better in, and how can I be influenced by by certain people? And and sometimes you know you, you end up you 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 see this video or this podcast, and then that leads you on to another one, another one, another one. And all of a sudden, you're in this area that you hadn't thought about getting to, but it's just taking you there. And so that, that's one of the, the great things about, um, you know, I guess in a way modern technology and, and the way the world's moving is, is that there is a lot of information, a lot of a lot of good people out there. Um, mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I still like reading books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is, there, is, one is there one particular area that you are into now that you want uh, Well, there, there's a couple. Like so at the moment um, I'm reading a book called Great Expectations, which is about how to, how to raise children. Um, okay. Which I got onto because I read um, a book called Training Soccer Champions by Anson Dorrance. Okay. And in there he talks about placing expectations on players and, and you know, he's obviously an extremely successful soccer coach and, and done some great things. And, and he talks about, um, you know, he, he read this book, Great Expectations, and it talks about how do you, how do you set standards and expectations for your children, and make sure that you that you live them. Because um, I don't know if you have kids, and, and and if you do where they're at, but not yet. But okay, <laughs> well, you're going to come to it at some stage, right? <laughs> but they test you every day in every way, you know. And it's like, um, you know, one of the examples he 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 gave was that he had a five year old kid, and it's like they tell him to put his plate in the dishwasher, and he's like rolls his eyes, and oh, I'll do it later. And there's this moment of confrontation where you go, you either leave the kid and go, okay, yep, you do it later in your time when you want, or no, you do it now when I've asked you to. And if you leave it later, then most of the time he'll probably just leave it and you end up picking it up and putting it in the dishwasher. 
And it's like, well, you've eliminated the confrontation, but you've set a low standard for your child. And so, you know, every day I struggle with what's the right way to go about raising my kids and what standards and expectations do I hold them to. So I thought, should I better read this book and try and get an understanding? But it translates into your work as as a coach because it's what standards and expectations do you hold your players to? Um, you know, and, and how do you go about confronting those situations and dealing with it when they don't meet those standards and expectations, you know? So, so, so that's one of the things I'm looking at at the moment. I just bought a book called Breath, which is all about breathing and, um, you know, and, and how does that affect performance and mental state and all those sort of things and just breathing properly for a better life. And, you know, so I've got a few different books on the go at the moment, as I always tend to do. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to work out now. Interesting. Nice, yeah. mate. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's been yeah. really good. Yeah. Anyone that wants to know more about you, your journey, what you're doing at the Storm, is there a better place, best place to, uh, for people to, to go? Look, um, I, I, have a, I have a Twitter account, but I don't do anything on it. Um, I read, you know, like I try and follow some people and I, and I read some interesting articles, but I don't put anything out and that's Sometimes I don't, I don't look at it for a week, you know, and then I'll scroll through and try and find some interesting stuff. And so one of the things I thought about was I need to be better with that. But I, I'm, not, I'm not big into social media and putting things out, but I like to learn from it. But apart from that, no. Okay. <laughs> Listen to your podcast like maybe it. and that's love about it. it. Yeah. Love it. No, it's yeah. cool. That's yeah. fine, mate. So people can, people can uh, have a look on the Twitter and – yeah, they're not going to get my out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Nice, yeah. mate. Well, thank yeah. you for giving up your time. Thank you for yeah, no, fitting me in for the, the schedule. No, it's, 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 I really do appreciate it. So hang around. We'll have a little chat. But okay. I'll, uh, sure. officially, I'll let you go. Okay. Thanks, no mate. Stay okay. tuned. Thank you. Bye, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 324 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So big thanks to Lachlan for giving up his time. It was late at night for me, but it was uh, it was just after work for him. I know he's got a busy schedule, especially this time of year, getting players ready for the new season. So really appreciate his time. Also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Athlete Monitoring, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. And if you're listening on when it goes live, it's Christmas Eve. So happy Christmas. Hope you have a very good day tomorrow with your family. And if you're in pro sport, hopefully you get a little bit of time with the family. And good luck for all those around the world that are playing over Christmas. And uh, hopefully it's an enjoyable one. So thank you for support this year. Really appreciate it. And I will chat to you next week.